Welcome to Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. This podcast is a collection of historical and philosophical references, contemplations, lectures, and exchanges with David M. Valadez, his students, and guests. Podcasts are recorded on the mat at the Ascension Center in Southern California and in studio. These podcasts are provided to cultivate the warrior on the way and to add light to their path. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's podcast. This week's episode comes from a listener's question. So if you are not aware, the Dojo Ascension Center has many social media outlets. And I think if you really want to understand any answers to a question you might have. So let me go and do this before I even give the question. But if you really want to understand any answer to any questions you might have, I would definitely take advantage of of all the social media outlets. So we have a presence on Facebook and we have a presence on YouTube. We also have a website. The website is the name of the dojo, ascensioncenter.com. Uh, there's biographical information on me. For some uh, reason, a lot of people keep wondering uh, who I am and where I came from. Also, you can see many, many articles on, on that website, and then there is a blog that you can subscribe to. And uh, those are deeper dives too. So I think, uh, and then also this podcast. So between the podcast and the blog, that's probably our deepest dives. And then videos uh, kind of support those deep dives. I think if you just look at the videos, you're just going to see what you think you're already doing or that is common to the art. Um, And then I think if you just pay attention to the articles or the podcast, uh, you're likely to wonder if it's all for real. So get that wonderment going in the deep dives, the podcast and the articles and the blog, and then you can see it in uh, real life, at the speed of life, in, in the videos that we're doing. Um, the videos are first posted on Facebook and then eventually they're posted on YouTube. Uh, there's more context written for each video on Facebook and on YouTube. There's just a general title there. So there's an interest in following on both social media platforms. On YouTube, all the videos are put into playlist. So one video, for example, might be on Sumiyotosh, and you might have some questions on that are raised in your mind upon watching that particular video. But if you go to the playlist, it will probably have anywhere from 50 to 100 videos on Sumiyotosh, and you can get uh, answers and even have new questions raised. So that's, that's how I kind of understand everything. Um, the way I do not understand what we're doing is uh, shallow dives. Um, there's no such thing as far as I'm concerned. If you really want to have an, a sincere question and you would like to have it answered sincerely.
all these efforts, um, they take a lot of time, um, but because they're done in this kind of um, synergistic way, uh, it's kind of why I don't feel pressed to have a regular podcast every week like others might do. Um, if you really want answers, if you really want the benefit of information or perspective that's different from yours, my understanding is that you'll take advantage of all these different ways that the message or the information is put out. And uh, although you did not get a podcast episode every week, um, you had lots of information uh, made available to you through those other outlets. So don't lose heart if uh, you don't get that podcast every week. Um, there's still plenty for you to uh, chew on and consider and, and use to uh, bring a mirror to your own practice or even to mine. All of that stuff, again, takes a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of equipment. So uh, it is all for free. Uh, but if you can, uh, please subscribe to our Patreon uh, that link is going to be in the episode notes, and, uh, you know, even a dollar helps, five dollar helps, five dollars help, um, and of course, it's greatly appreciated. So, the question that we received is on rank. Um, this listener has been one of those people that takes advantage of all the different social media outlets we have, and they've learned uh, that here at this dojo, we do not use rank. Um, and the question is, well, how do you measure for the student's progress, um, etc.? And I would imagine, as I've had other conversations with other people that follow us regarding rank, um, questions of motivation, too, often come up. So... How are people motivated without, without rank? That kind of stuff. I would say that there's two things to consider on the issue of rank, um, how it's used, and also, therefore, how it's not to be used. I think rank, for me, uh, twofold, is uh, first and foremost is that uh, it prevents the deshi um, from utilizing their own will to power against the teacher. In, in, in other words, it's a concentric application of the nage who uh, pushes on the uke instead of conjoining with the uke. And we'll go into that in a little bit. And then the other way... To the other reason for removing rank is um, rank, and this was discussed in our part two article on Shu Hadi and just some comments that were made uh, in regards to questions we had on that article. So I'll link that article in this episode notes as well. Um, rank is an institutional thing and as such, its primary means is the continual reproduction of the institution. And more importantly, um, why I reject rank is that it functions as an aspect of the, or an element of the first mind aspect. 
That means it is a product of the functioning of the ego tripartite. And since the main goal of Aikido training as a Budo is the deconstruction of the ego tripartite, uh, the use and the felt need and the utilization of rank is antithetical to um, Aikido praxis. So those, again, to repeat, these are the two main reasons why we don't use rank. Um, we don't want to give uh, any fuel to the deshi's will to power as they're training to um, reconcile their will to power. And then secondarily, uh, rank is itself a manifestation of the ego tripartite, which training is um, aimed or oriented towards deconstructing. So it doesn't make sense. It's antithetical to use things of the ego tripartite, constructs of the ego tripartite. And again, if you're following us along, uh, there's many, many articles and podcast episodes on what the ego tripartite is. Okay, so that begs the question, well, how do you assess how do you assess uh, this deshi for whether they are progressing or whether they are in alignment with the teaching? And as you can see, um, if you look at the first two reasons that I hold for why rank should not be a part of one's Aikido training, um, using those things and assessing for whether a deshi is in alignment with the way or not would mean you're not in alignment with the way. Again, let me say that one more time. So if, if my goal as a teacher or one of the responsibilities of the teacher is to assess for um, message transmission, right, or um, message reception of the information that is... Aikido, well, the utilization of these things would be, as they are, antithetical to Aikido as a Budo, and therefore their utilization would mean misalignment. I think in that regard, then, what I'm trying to say is the question of assessment that can only be answered through rank, or the question of assessment that arises when rank is taken off the table is really a false question because its answer is impossible. So let's try to um, get at the heart of really what's behind the question. And in my opinion, this is the best way of answering um, the confusion, so to speak, when we take something that has become so elemental to our training, uh, because most Aikido is institutional. You know, how can we address the confusion? So let, let's kind of uh, parse this out a little bit. The normal way or the common way that rank functions within the institution without any kind of cultural um, critical study. So let's not look at the very nature of the institution. So I already gave you that. The very nature of the institution is to re reproduce itself. 
Um, but the way it functions in a dojo, kind of colloquially speaking, is that um, people will get information. That information is in the form of kihonwaza. And as they um, are able to manifest either the totality of the details that make up a kihonwaza and or the quality of those details that make up a kihonwaza, um, they will then correspond to uh, a, some sort of achievement in message transmission and message reception. And so you end up taking a test. Um, again, it, just as a side note, because it is important to note that rank and the institution are first mind aspect constructs. Um, and you'll see in that part two of the Shu Hadi article, um, this is why you can't ever truly gain Takamusu Aiki uh, within such a institutionalized dojo. It's just from the onset antithetical to it. But if you look deeper, this is precisely why you see uh, some things that are really strangely connected to ranking and testing uh, if message transmission and message reception is what we were only using ranking for. So, for example, um, you often have a testing fee. Um, you also have a, uh, a, a distinguished or a distinction made or a delineation um, between uh, the sets of information that we want to measure for, whether it was transmitted and received or not. So you have uh, a, a numerical sequencing to that information. So uh, this is the sixth queue or the fifth queue, this is the fourth queue, this is the third queue. Those things will correspond to uh, not only different titles, but in some places, different colored belts or different stripes on belts or things like that. Uh, they'll go on to, they'll correspond to um, different positions that you will sit and line up in the dojo, and they will also uh, correspond to different titles you have and different responsibilities you have in the dojo. Um, there's associated fees that go with them, associated um, you know, for the testing fee, associated uh, fees that go with registering of new ranks and things like this. Um, and you can see like, well, none of that really has to do with message uh, transmission or message reception. Uh, what rank is actually doing is just repeating the institution, just reproducing it over and over again. If you'd like to understand uh, how this actually functions, uh, what you can do is a kind of um, take the argument to the absurd. Um, all you have to do to see how and why this all functions, as I'm saying, is be in a dojo. Um, train, 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 like get really much better than anyone else in your dojo and never test. And you'll see that the uh, institution starts to unravel in many, many ways. And this is because rank is not really about 
message reception, message trans transmission, but it's really just an institutional tool. Okay, so going back to the, the normal aspects that most people would understand how rank functions, you know, you, you get some information, you show that you can do the details, they're of good quality, and then you do this test, okay? Putting all the institutional side stuff aside. Um, what ends up incidentally being emphasized is that of technique because it is the vessel of the information that is being uh, transmitted and thereby assessed. And what ends up happening in these schools without anyone realizing it, uh, the utilization of rank and the vessel or the nature of the message that is being assessed for transmission and reception being technique is that technique itself arises uh, um, to a very key position in the stabilization of the institution. And this is why if somebody uh, got better at technique but had lower rank or no rank at all, uh, why they would be able to cause a kind of cultural uh, upheaval in a dojo or in a, in a larger uh, respect to any kind of federation the dojo belongs to. But the downside of this, and what nobody notices, and this has a lot to do with why we don't use rank. Uh, so I gave you those two main reasons, but of course there's more than two main ones. So this is another one, why we don't use rank. Uh, technique is not the primary marker of skill in Aikido. But in dojo where rank is used to reproduce the institution, technique Aikido, in a way, is reduced to kihonwaza. And this is why, for example, in dojos where that is functioning, um, they don't do anything but kihonwaza. Uh, you start to see um, the orientation of the lesson uh, or even the orientation at which the institution is aimed in the reproduction of itself is, for example, um, not spiritual awakening, uh, the goal of Budo, and not uh, fighting viability, which is the goal of uh, the martial arts. It, it becomes its own kind of um, thing in at reducing Aikido to the Kihon, and this is where you have heard me say or uh, uh, read a lot of my pieces where I talk about uh, the Kihon Waza has been uh, turned into a fetish, okay? Uh, and in that sense, it becomes a kind of capital where the person of higher rank is believed to have more Kihonwaza uh, or more details in the Kihonwaza, and then people of lower rank are willing to trade material capital, let's say money, uh, for that kind of technical capital because ultimately that technical capital uh, can be uh, exchanged for a kind of social capital inside the dojo. And this is why. Uh, when you go to a seminar in these kind of political constructs, all you end up doing is more kihonwaza. 
really what I mean is you don't, you don't do anything any different than if you were at your dojo. But somehow, even though you will have less opportunity to feel the teacher's technique at a seminar, and even though you're likely to train with somebody who has either no ukemi skills or a different set or assumptions about ukemi, so a different set of ukemi skills or different assumptions about ukemi such that you can't really train with them, um, nobody actually feels the halting of their own regular training and the dojo to be um, negatively impact by going to this seminar where you will not feel the teacher's technique and you will have less ability to perform a technique at higher degrees of intensity or energy. But that's precisely what's happening. Why no one feels a loss is because form has been fetishized. Uh, and why? Because it's become part of the internal capital systems inside the institution as it is uh, going about reproducing itself. If form, why this is all a problem for me is that form, Kihon Waza, is not the goal of Budo training nor of Aikido training. So uh, we define, it, it, let's put it this way, it is not the goal of Budo training and Aikido Kihonwaza is not the mark of Aikido. And that again, that might be kind of strange to most people because most people identify the art of Aikido as equivalent to the Kihonwaza of Aikido. Um, that is a departure from the founder's understanding of his art called called Aikido. Um, and so you can see that this idea, this one-to-one -one relationship between the art and its kihon, um, you can see that that's a degeneration or um, some sort of perversion or deviation from the founder's art. But when kihon is fetishized, what you see in these dojo is uh, an absence of any kind of training that is not kihon training. So, um, for example, um, some people's kihon has no strikes in it, no atemi, okay? Atemi is, has been, um, the understanding of atemi has been also uh, degenerated, so they will believe that Aikido is some sort of less than lethal martial art, um, and uh, this, the absence of a temi is a testament towards that non-injurious art as, as they understand Aikido. Again, that is a deviation from the founder's art. Uh, it's also a deviation from the history of the martial art as well. Um, and it, it's quite diluted, too, in the sense that... Um, it's quite diluted in, in regards to the reality of human v. human violence. Um, to, to where does that come from? It, it comes from, you know, really the demographic that does Aikido today. So that demographic is um, what they themselves would call themselves 
the entitled and the privileged. And one of their entitlements and privileges is that they have become um, economically, um, in an economically supported way, separated from violence, but for what Hollywood tells them is violence, which is also part of their culture. And so uh, in their imaginations or within their delusions, it is possible to throw someone from a standing position to the ground uh, without injury, when in fact it is not. So as we come to understand, okay, what are we assessing for? Well, as I was getting to, we have to find out if, if what, what is the art? What is Aikido? If Aikido is not its Kihon Waza, then let's not assess for its Kihon Waza or through its Kihon Waza, okay? So again, just briefly, and you can go back and look at some of the blogs we've written or the um, podcast episodes. The one that's coming to mind right now is uh, Definitions, the one that's titled Definitions on the podcast. And it goes out there and it lays out for you uh, what Aikido is as determined um, historically by what Budo is and also what the founder's practice was. So there are three marks to Aikido, three identifying aspects to Aikido, uh, and they are concentric to each other. So I'm just going to briefly repeat these, these things. Um, but it's key that you understand that they are concentric to each other. And that means that all three, while appearing different, function through the same exact means. Okay, The first mark is the mystical state, or however you want to put it. Um, some of the things that I've said in the past is, uh, well, you could take those senseis, communion with the divine or communion with God. Um, but some of the ways that I've, I've said it is uh, your access to your second mind aspect. What is the second mind aspect? That is the, your, your experience of the world uh, once the first mind aspect or the ego tripartite is deconstructed. And both of these are skills. So skills, uh, it is a skill to deconstruct the ego tripartite that you learn through your training. And it is a skill to allow the second mind aspect to uh, function, uh, meaning that you can manifest it at will. All right, the second uh, marker of Aikido is uh, while it is a jujitsu that your reconciliation of yin and yang, which all jujitsu share in common, and again, if you're up with the dojo, you know that I'm just using the modern understanding of jujitsu uh, and not drawing these uh, needless distinctions between um the different ryu or even kenjutsu versus uh, so uh, Japanese uh, sword fighting or Japanese empty hand fighting. So we're, we're not doing that here. All of those fighting systems that share a historical uh, lineage with the art of Aikido all function through uh, yin-yang theory and whereby in that theory, yang is reconciled with yin, and yin is reconciled um, with yang. 
So all of those arts have that in common, but a few of them, and Aikido is one of them, is that this yin-yang reconciliation not only happens at an external level, but also at an internal level. So right here uh, is where we usually distinguish our, our understanding. Well, I would say even in the first aspect, uh, in, in terms of the mystical state, um, institutional Aikido is, is a product of the demographic, that entitled privilege population, uh, and it is mostly secular materialist in the West, uh, and so they have taken the first marker of Aikido um, off the table, and as a result, they also took with it the concentric episteme that grounds these first two aspects, um, the mystical state and the internal reconciliation of yin and yang. Uh, they've taken it off the table as well, uh, which is why they can't do it. Okay. Uh, they, this, this is why you see uh, inst institutionalized Aikido, very, very high-ranking people, uh, including the Doshu and uh, Waka Sensei, you, it, 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 I don't, I've never seen it uh, in institutionalized Aikido. And if you have seen it, uh, you can always share the video. And if you can do it, you can share the video too. Um, but in fact, it is these internal skills are not in the ranks of institutional Aikido, and the art has been reduced to only an external, if, if, and if it at all, an external reconciliation of yin and yang. And the reason why I say if at all is because a true reconciliation of yin and yang requires first or primarily um, an internal reconciliation of yin and yang. And then this brings us to the third marker of Aikido, and that is um, using Osensei's phrase, Taka Musaiki, or using the phrase in the article that I mentioned beforehand, part two on the Shuhadi, uh, the, um, or better in English said, uh, the third marker of Aikido is that it works towards our practice in the art, works towards a reconciliation of form and non-form, which if you read the article is an integration of the first mind aspect, that ego tripartite, and the second mind aspect, the what we are left with once the ego tripartite is deconstructed. So that was a lot of information, trying to sum up really quickly, so I'll just list them again uh, using just simple phrases here. So we're not assessing, or we should not be assessing for the performance of Kihon, because that is a, just a fetishization of form. Uh, and instead, we need to identify what Aikido actually is. It is not its Kihon Waza. Uh, and what it is, is a skill at uh, the mystical state uh, to an internal reconciliation of yin and yang, and three, a reconciliation of form and non-form or an integration of the first mind aspect and the second mind aspect. And that is precisely what we should be assessing for because that is precisely what determines whether one is or is not becoming skilled in Aikido, not Kihon Waza. Why not Kihon Waza? Because uh, 
Kihon Waza is by design a controlled environment. And the problem with controlled environments is that they function through the first mind aspect, through the ego tripartite, and one can uh, be deluded into observing themselves as functioning outside of the ego tripartite when that is not actually the case, okay? So meaning one can do kihon waza um, without manifesting the second mind aspect or one can do kihon waza from outside the mystical state. And this is what is proven in institutionalized Aikido over and over. Nobody is doing their technique. Um, from the second mind aspect. In that regard then, because the mystical state, the internal reconciliation of yin and yang, and the reconciliation of form and non-form are all concentric to each other, as a person can do kihon waza outside of the mystical state, or appears to be able to, uh, they can also appear to do the technique, but without the internal reconciliation of yin and yang. Again, this is entirely how institutionalized Aikido functions, so obviously it is possible. And then because it is Kihon Waza, it is all an idealized and prescribed environment, uh, there is really no need for a reconciliation of non-form, and hence there is no uh, manifestation of a reconciliation of form and non-form, or ri or takamusu aiki, okay? So let me give you some concrete examples from my own deshi. I have deshi who are able to access the mystical state and do have internal skills and have learned to reconcile form and non-form. And I have deshi that cannot. And the majority of my deshi cannot. And this is consistent with history. So meaning, if you look at the historical record, the number of people that can reach these levels of skill have always been in minority. Now my dojo is following suit with that. You can listen to all the other podcasts precisely why that is the case. So looking at those deshi of mine that do not have these markers of Aikido, what are they doing in Kihon Waza? They're doing the opposite of Aikido. What do you mean? They're doing an, either an external reconciliation of yin or yang, but as I already said, you can't really do an external reconciliation of yin and yang without an internal, a preceding internal reconciliation of yin and yang. So if you look closely, they're not reconciling yin and yang. They are successful at the technique because they either out-yang the uke, so they outpower the uke, or the uke ceases um, in their own yang manifestation, such that uh, the technique appears to have reconciled itself, but instead you had a kind of uh, culture that takes over. It's really a culture of fear, uh, where the nage and the uke kind of make a subconscious pact 
towards alleviating their fear and pride. That pact takes the shape of the uke, and this all happens without words and all happens at the speed of life. So the uke comes in to fall, uh, and the nage uh, does the technique so that uke can fall. And the silent agreement here is that nage is like, don't challenge my technique, uh, and I will let you fall how you want to fall. And the uke is, I won't challenge your technique uh, so you can let me fall how I want to fall. And the reason I, tell, I say that this is all fear is, uh, on the one hand, you have the nage who uh, does not want their, challenge, their, their pride in challenged, which is a fear response, uh, and then the uke does not want to enter into the fears of unknown and pain reconciliation, or the need for pain reconciliation. And again, uh, this is a marker of institutionalized Aikido. This is where you get the choreographed, um, you know, the choreographed uke, what I call the dressage pony, uh, and the totally martially ignorant nage. Okay, which marks institutionalized Aikido through and through. Um, but if you look only at the technique and you don't look, for example, at the mystic state, and the mystic state requires a reconciliation of fear because fear is a uh, functioning or an aspect of the functioning of the ego tripartite, do you see? Um, if you take that off the table and you just look at their technique, you would, you would as much of, of the institutionalized Aikido people do, is go, oh, that's Ikkyo, for example. They're doing Ikkyo. Oh, that's Ikkyo. Do you see? Meaning their arms moved through space according to the pattern. Their steps were uh, matching the vectors and the number of steps, etc., etc. Um, but from... My point of view, it is not Aikido because of the presence of fear that generated the need for the choreographed Kihon Waza. Now, why is that important? Because who or what or by what means do you observe this presence of fear and the shutdown of the mystical state or the second mind aspect or the deconstruction of the ego tripartite, who, if this is the marker of the art, then what is the means or, or who is the means by which it is assessed absent or present? It's not the form. It's the teacher. What teacher? As in part two of the Shuhadi article that I've mentioned several times, if you look at the historical record using a modern phrase, it is the accomplished teacher. What, what does that mean? The teacher who already can do those three markers of the art at will gain access to the mystical state, internally reconcile yin and yang, and uh, within live conditions reconcile form and non-form. That is the means... Uh, by which a deshi's progress is assessed. And it has been for um, hundreds and hundreds of years, which is why for hundreds and hundreds of years, the master-disciple relationship was the main dynamic that marked whether one was on the path or not on the path. It is only until recently 
that the master-disciple relationship has again been taken off the table. Again, one might think that all these things that are being taken off the table um, is what caused, uh, for example, a fetishization of form or the inability to perform the art under live conditions with resistant opponents. Uh, but it's not that. It's not that they one caused the other. It's more that one simultaneously uh, allows for the possibility of the other. Okay, so for example, um, as the mystical state was taken off the table for this uh, largely secular materialist class of people who have the luxury income that allows them to do an art like Aikido, and their privilege and title state has allowed them to separate themselves from the reality of violence. Uh, all this creates the possibility for the delusion of a non-injurious jujitsu, and also for the delusion that forms can be and should be the marker of progress in the art or the lack thereof. Likewise, as one possibility created the opening for another possibility, it, it goes on ad infinitum in a way that reproduces the institution, which is the main goal of all of these things. So you take the master-disciple relationship off the table, again, that is very particular to that demographic. Um, statistically, they have very, very poor relationships uh, with their fathers in particular. Um, this leads to a kind of feminization of their entire culture. And uh, as a result, um, they have, if not they, then their children and their grandchildren continually have further and further problematic uh, relationships with authority. And so the person of authority, the master, is going to be deemed something that you can do without. Well, there, there's no way you can assess for the true markers of skill, but that's not a problem because we took the true markers off the table and we're actually just doing forms. By default, we are either made okay with um, the art being void of any practicality, either at the level of emotional intelligence or at the level of martial viability. And this okay with these things being absent comes about by either saying those things are not part of the art or we actually still do have those things. So when you look at uh, people that have one or one of those views, uh, they will say, you know what, Aikido is not about that stuff. I just do Aikido because I like Aikido. There's no, there's no, it doesn't make me or cultivate me in any way such that I am uh, out to become a better version of myself. I just do it. And they're quite insulted by, by or threatened or triggered by an Aikido that has uh, some sort of view that it is a technology of the self, and that and meaning that it is it is a system of self transformation. Like that, 
really triggers them. Um, and, you know, strangely, you can check out their relationship with their father. Um, on the other hand, you have the deluded uh, Aikido people that um, believe that uh, they're fighting a skill is actually viable and uh, even though it is reduced to form. Uh, so they continually measure for the viability of Aikido by attempting to do Kihon Waza um, inside of uh, sparring, dueling kind of things. Uh, it's just insane. Now, I think a lot of institutionalized Aikido Aikidoka and more and more uh, are starting to see uh, a lot of these things and some of it might make sense uh, I but I don't doubt that the majority of institutionalized Aikido because institutions function uh, what I'm mentioning here is crazy okay so you need some sort of um, objective uh, experimentation to uh, see through the veil, so to speak. So I already gave you one. If you if you want to see uh, how this works, um, you can do things that the institution, in its will to reproduce itself, uh, did not account for. And so, for example, um, if you train every day, or you get really strong. Uh, so you start lifting, you know, you do you do our our uh, strength uh, training program, and you adopt it as your own, which is based on Mark Ripito's program, and then has some added components to it, and we have podcast episodes on that because it's geared towards our sport, okay, not just towards the production of strength. So you train every day, which we have had podcasts on. You increase your strength. Um, and you then do not participate in the ranking system, and you will see uh, and feel the social pressures, uh, which means the utilization of the social capital of the institutionalized aimed at you. You will feel it, uh, and you will go like, why can't I just do these things? Why, why can't I just train every day? Why can't I just become strong? And why can't I not participate? Uh, in the ranking system uh, without all this pressure and hatred and uh, being ostracized and things like that. And the reason is because you're subverting the reproduction of the institution itself. Another experiment you can do is um, gain uh, skill at the reconciliation of form and non-form and practice your kihon in, in that way, which is, as was mentioned in the part two article, which is very much possible and which is something that O-sensei himself did, okay? So form is not antithetical to non-form. Um, that is not how ri uh, works or that, that is not how takamusu aiki works. So by an integration of the first and second mind aspects, form and non-form are reconciled, and you can do kihon now uh, in a very spontaneous way. What ends up happening with that is the even the uke who now wants to throw themselves 
can be uh, taken off balance. Uh, so again, this might be news to uh, institutionalized Aikido people. That person who is throwing themselves, the choreographed uke, like for example, even the one that does a little tiny turn inside of your technique so they can take the high back, uh, the high front break fall, they're not off balance. And that is precisely why they can take that turn uh, at their own will and end up taking that fall, okay? But what you can do uh, when you have uh, reached a D state is you can do Kihon Waza from a D state and as the uke attempts to throw themselves, uh, you can continue to take their balance uh, rather than letting them go into that fall. Um, we posted a video today. I'll put links of it. I don't know if I'll get it onto uh, to Facebook, but I'm sorry, to uh, YouTube, but it's on Facebook. It was posted today uh, on the Dojo's business page. And I have uh, one uke in Tenshinage who uh, does not want to uh, to go into the void, which is part of the internal reconciliation of of the uh, of their energy. Okay, you don't want to go in the void. Uh, she knows if she goes that deep in, uh, she's going, she, or she imagines, she feels right. She feels that if she goes that deep in, uh, that she will get hurt, and uh, so she doesn't want to lose the control of her fall. Um, but what you can do is, like, it doesn't matter if, if you want to do that, you're still going to come deeper into the technique. Um, and then, uh, sure enough, her worst dreams come true. Uh, but why? Because uh, the ukemi cannot be taken from a fear state, um, and which is precisely why the choreographed uke does not take ukemi. Uh, they're just throwing themselves. But uh, when you are brought into the void, uh, which you can do when you have the internal aspects, uh, even the uke that is trying to maintain their balance so that they can throw themselves or the one who is avoiding being taken so off balance, they're going to be taken off balance. So in a way, you did kihon waza, but in another way, you did a spontaneous application of uh, reconciling form and non-form. No, you you do your kihon waza like that in your uh, fetishized, institutionalized dojo, and uh, again you will experience the same kind of uh, being ostracized by everyone. And again, why? Because you're actually subverting the institution itself. You, but it'll they'll talk about you're just an asshole. <laughs> Again, a lot of these things have been mentioned in greater detail, okay? But so getting back to the, to the question is um, how do you assess? Well, the master, the accomplished master is able to assess. They can recognize um, dichotomous thinking. They can recognize a fear reactivity. Um, they, they can feel it. They can sense it. Um, but there are objective ways of also assessing for it. But I will tell you that those objective ways are much, much more difficult um, for, the, for a deshi. So usually at the beginning, progress is, is assessed for in this way. The accomplished master is observing 
uh, and sensing um, those things that are antithetical to the three markers of Aikido. But this assessment, again, isn't, is different in nature, okay? And this, as we progress in finer and finer or, or um, more intense assessment environments, uh, as we do that, you start to see that really it's not an assessment in the way that rank is happening, meaning uh, we're not assessing for message uh, reception, okay? Instead, what the assessment is by the accomplished master is to see uh, what are the next uh, lessons or tools or, or pedagogies that need to be utilized to continue to assist the deshi with moving towards the three markers of the art. That, that's really what you're assessing for. You're not, you're not assessing for message reception. Um, so let's say, for example, as I, as I was mentioning, you have the deshi, um, they're doing kihon waza, and they're just doing yang-yang conflicts or some uh, cultural uh, agreed-upon choreography. So the teacher, the accomplished master, is going to make up drills um, that make it impossible for the deshi to do either of those things. And this brings uh, the power of self-observation to the deshi. And it's from that power of, of self-observation that the deshi can now start to uh, undo themselves, okay, so to speak, which is a necessary step of all transformative processing. So those early levels uh, are really the accomplished master observing for those those. Uh, elements that are antithetical to the art as we defined already, and then coming up with micro drills where uh, it is impossible for the deshi to uh, continue these mistakes uh, so that they can see that they were making those mistakes. So an example of this would be the deshi who, this is a simple example, the deshi who is just simply outpowering a, an uke uh, will be put with a larger uke that they cannot outpower, okay? That's an example. So this points out the fact that yin and yang were not being rec uh, reconciled, and in fact, yang was being matched with yang, uh, and hence uh, a push was being manifested between nage and uke, and uh, as a result, they were pushed backwards, let's say. Or maybe their reconciliation was purely external and they do not realize that it is external, but the accomplished master can see that it is an external uh, reconciliation of yin and yang. And then a new version of the drill or the kihon is going to be done in such a way that the only way that it can be performed is with an internal reconciliation of yin and yang. Okay. Um, you get those kind of things early, early on. And as you move on later in skill, um, and you're now looking at either um, 
or all three of those elements, so the mystical state, the internal reconciliation of yin and yang, and the reconciliation of form and non-form. Let's say, for example, that you're going to start doing intensified kihon. Um, you start to reach a failure point, okay? So those people that can do it, can do those markers of the art, uh, they will continue to succeed in intensified kihon. But those deshi that cannot do those markers, uh, they will utterly fail in intensified kihon. And likewise, if you go into more live training environments, uh, then you have a higher degree of failure, uh, except for those that are able to do the three elements. Um, that failure, though, is not like rank where, okay, you passed or you didn't pass. Again, it continues to be an assessment tool for the teacher, and it continues to bring the power of self-observation to the deshi, okay? So let's say, for example, um, the deshi does not realize that they, they have never in Kihon learned to shut down or deconstruct their ego tripartite. And so they never have been able to do Kihon Waza from the second mind aspect. When you go to live or more live environments, such as intensified Kihon or let's say sparring, um, the ego tripartite is unable to function. Uh, what ends up happening is the deshi's mind can, it goes from one thing to the other to the other it kind of fetters and stutters it's not a fluid uh, mind and as a result the techniques that they try to use are either too early or too late uh, they cannot simply be present uh, as their mind cannot unfetter um, so in that live or intensified kihon training environment uh, the deshi now realizes, oh, I have a fettered mind or I have an attachment mind. I have not learned the skill of releasing uh, and I have not yet tapped into my second mind aspect. Uh, of course, the accomplished master knew this from the very beginning, um, but as they brought the deshi into this level of training, now the deshi has more insight into where they're actually at. Um, and what the teacher does with that is develop the next set of lessons, drills, techniques, etc., etc., that helps them utilize that power of observation. Now, one might think, again, well, can't you give a rank to that? Um, but we're back to the uh, first points I made. So, no, no, you can't. Not if you want, not if your goal is to have a deshi uh, achieve a skill at the mystical state, the internal reconciliation of yin and yang and takamusaiki or the reconciliation of form and non-form, you cannot entice this deshi with rank because precisely they will be enticed with rank. And this is why uh, you cannot really ever achieve takamusaiki within institutionalized Aikido. Your ego tripartite is going to be suckered and fueled by the possibility and utilization of rank. You can think of it as akin to um, 
you are 80 pounds overweight and you have a, a metabolic syndrome, you're pre-diabetic, um, and your doctor is like, okay, we're going to reduce the amount of carbs that you're taking uh, every day, so we want to see uh, you eating no more than 20 carbs per day. Um, and you're like, oh, doctor, I, I work at Seize Candy. Okay. Yeah, this isn't going to work. Okay. Um, now, we might want to say, well, you could do it. You know, if you have willpower and, and discipline, you could do it. Um, but, I mean, we can look at addiction therapy um, that is successful. And what they always do is uh, separate you from your circle of friends uh, and the behavioral patterns that lead up to your drug use. Otherwise, we're not going to be successful in uh, stopping your attachment to this intoxicant. Well, the ego tripartite is a kind of intoxicant or a kind of producer of intoxicant in the sense that uh, it is associated with our dopamine releases. Uh, it is associated with the, uh, the alleviating, we believe, uh, delusionally, the alleviating of our fears and that our safety can be guaranteed through our will to power. Uh, it just all starts functioning as it's feeding itself by eating itself. So the worst thing you can do is to uh, mark for the elements of the art uh, with a rank. And you can see this even in the institutionalized Aikido, where rank is assessing for message reception and message transmission through uh, the fetishization of form. Um, what do you see? Wouldn't it be possible for people to train every day um, and to value the skill of, uh, just skill in the art in general and training every day because you know the training equations amount to the one who trains the most uh, becomes the most skilled Um why in the world would, would, would rank change any of that if rank was about skill? Well, it's because at a psychological level, uh, each deshi working through their ego tripartite has accepted the symbolic nature of rank as uh, being materially true. So as you get, let's say you go from 6Q to 5Q, it is the ego tripartite that sees the fifth cue as uh, equivalent to skill in Kihon uh, at fifth cue level. Um, but what is actually going on? Are the training equations actually occurring? Are people that are six cue training every day to get better uh, and then finally get take their test and then they get this marker that is a marker for their training every day. No, that's not what actually happens in practice. What actually happens in practice is that people are absent for most of the time between tests and as the test nears, people start cramming for the test. So what are they, what is the orientation of their actual practice? Is it skill? No, if it was, they would not have a, all those absent days. 
the orientation of the test is actually just the passing of the test. So the acquiring of the symbolic, uh, of the symbolism of skill, that, that has become the orientation. So the rank and the working and the nature of rank actually displaces us through the ego tripartite through, uh, from the acquisition of skill. And I would imagine, you know, there's somebody out there who wants to say that uh, their dojo does not have these crammers. And I, I've been training up on 40 years now. I'm older than I look. Some of you think I'm quite young on the videos. I am a lot older than you might think. And uh, I have never seen a dojo where testing does not bring more people into class prior to the test. And I would put that in contrast in a dojo like ours, where um, since people are after the markers of the art, which means skill at the art, um, they're training every day. We don't need the rank to bring them in. It's not rank uh, that's motivating them in light of the fact that rank tends to only motivate people towards the acquisition of that rank, not towards skill in the art. When you have your, your motivation being the achievement or the cultivation within yourself, the markers of the art, every day you're not on the mat is the day you're not moving closer to that. In an institutionalized dojo that uses rank, you can be absent all the way to near the end where you can cram and pass the test and feel that you've accomplished something. The very, the very nature of cram, cramming, the possibility of cramming really denotes an idea that you can be absent for much of the time between tests. In a dojo like ours, no one can imagine that. You can be absent, and all it means is you're not becoming skilled at the art. And this is how I would, would speak to those who like to use rank as a motivational tool. But I would come back to this idea that rank as a motivational tool is only plausible through the first mind aspect, that ego tripartite. And since one of the markers of Aikido is the deconstruction of the ego tripartite, one of the markers is the mystical state. By bringing this option to your deshi, you're basically making it impossible for them to do the art. They're working in the C's candy shop. So this, my friend, would be my answer to your question on rank. Again, these are conversations. Feel free to ask more questions if I did not answer your question or if something else came to your mind. Um, this is not the end. 
not of our inquiry into such things, and not of our friendship. Peace be with you. This concludes this episode of Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. For more information, please visit sentiencenter.com, S-E-N-S-H-I-N-C-E-N-T-E-R.com, or find us at Facebook at Sension Center and on our YouTube channel at Sension One. Thank you for listening.